Well, good day, friends, and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name's Matt, uh, and it's wonderful that you're choosing to tune in with us today. Uh, friends, this ministry has been prepared for the 10th of July. And before we move to a time of praise, uh, hear these words of scripture from Psalm 16. The Lord shows us the path of life. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. be 
Let us pray as we come to the ministry of God's word now. Heavenly Father, your light of truth guides us in the way of Christ. May all who follow him reject what is contrary to the gospel. And we ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, friends, our passages of scripture for today. uh, First of all, our Old Testament reading comes from Proverbs chapter 27, and that's verses 1 through to 10. Our psalm for today is Psalm 19. And our New Testament reading, which I'll be speaking from, is Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 16. And so I'll invite you to take a moment, pause the video now, and read that out together out loud with whoever you're together with, and then we'll come to think about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word now, please speak into our lives. Please change us. Please help us to respond to you uh, with love and obedience in the way that we should. Amen. Well, what is church like? I wonder what picture you would use to describe uh, the model of church. There's a whole bunch of ways that each of us might think of church. But perhaps, perhaps, perhaps you consider church like a bus. Uh, Church is the place where you all come together, jump on board, and the ministers take you around, they drive the bus, hopefully you get somewhere, hopefully you get your money's worth. Or I heard another analogy of church a few years ago, and that was of a rowboat. Perhaps that's what you think church is like. Uh, Everyone comes together, jumps in and puts their shoulder to the oar, and puts in work uh, as a team moving in a direction. I wonder... Which one of those two images, the bus or the rowboat, best describes the way that you think of church? Perhaps the rowboat sounds good, you like the teamwork. Or maybe for you, it sounds, it makes church sound like too much work. Maybe you prefer the idea of the bus. Or is there another one that perhaps, another image that better represents what the church is like? Well, I think there is, and we'll get to it today. But the question we're really wrestling with is, how do I see my role in church? What part do I have to play? Now, this is a critical question for us as we as we jump into our new series. Uh, if you missed it last week, uh, we started a new series, a new short series, thinking about what it looks like to be a loving and welcoming church. Now, last week, part one, we were in Hebrews chapter 10. And we saw that the most basic reason that we come to church is that Christians belong together around God. Church is about God, it's about me, and it's about one another. Gathering together as a church isn't an optional extra for the Christian life. It's just fundamentally who we are if you belong to Christ. And so this week, we're thinking about your role as part of the church. And I'm going to take us to a passage there where the Apostle Paul, he speaks of the vision of church. And I want to be clear straight off the bat. The vision of church is one of growth together. And this growth happens 
through a philosophy of a every member ministry. Okay? And so we're in Ephesians chapter 4 today. In the first three chapters of his letter, uh, he's been, Paul has been dealing with uh, what we believe as Christians. Right? What we believe as Christians. He's been unfolding the eternal purposes of God. Now, what is that? Maybe, maybe you're not sure. Maybe this is the first week you're tuning in. Perhaps you're still wrestling with and trying to piece together the, uh, what the Christian understanding and belief is. Well, we see clearly in chapter 2 of Ephesians. A few two chapters previous. And so you might like to turn back there with me now. We're just going to take a moment in, in this. Because in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. He says, you were spiritually dead. That means you don't have a relationship with God. You're cut off from him. We follow our own evil choices. We choose our way and not God's way. And the result, he says, is that we're, we're spiritually dead because of it. And being spiritually dead... There's nothing you yourself can do about it. No, no. The only way you can move from a a state of being spiritually dead to being spiritually spiritually alive is if someone else comes and helps you out. If someone else does something. As we see in Ephesians 2, God is that someone. Reading from the second half of verse 3, he says, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were spiritually dead in transgressions. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. Do you see that? We've all rejected the creator, our ruler, God. We've ignored him in our lives. The Bible calls that sin. And their diagnosis is, we are spiritually dead because of our sins. We're cut off from relationship with God. But God, because of his great love for us, sent his son Jesus into the world that by dying on the cross, he would take our sin upon himself. And because God has done this for me, there's a new way for me to live. We see it in verse 10 of of chapter 2. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I was walking in sin, but now there's a new way for me to walk. But I want to be clear that this new way to walk isn't what saves us. No, it's only trusting in Jesus' death that saves us. Only trusting in Jesus' death that saves you. And being saved, there's a new way for us to walk now. We are saved by grace so that we can live for him. And so chapters 1 to 3, it builds that point that God is reconciling an alienated people back to himself. That he is healing a fractured humanity, uniting it together again. And if you're new with us, if you're still piecing together what uh, Christianity is all about, that's what I want you to wrestle with. That's chapters 1 to 3. Chapter 4, then, where we are today, uh, in Ephesians, it's, it's the turning point. Paul moves from what God has been doing, what God has done, to how we should respond. You might say it's a shift from theology to 
practicality. And here it starts, chapter 4, Paul says in verse 1, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He says, if you're a Christian, you need to live for God, a life that honors him. And in the next few verses, he frames that life up, what it looks like. It's shaped in terms of love and unity. And so it should be no surprise why we're looking at this part of Ephesians as part of our series about being a loving and welcoming church. Well, in verses 4 to 6 then, he tells us the why of Christian unity. He says that our unity as Christians arises because of the unity of God himself. From verse 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So there's unity. But... When we get to verse 7, where our passage picks up, Paul is quick to point out that unity in the church does not equal uniformity. His language here terms, turns from language of all of us to each one of us. And so he moves from the unity of the church to the diversity within the church. And so, verses 7 to the first half of 12, we see the gifts of the church. And the simple point is this, Christian unity is enriched by the diversity of the gifts God has given us. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each one of us has received the grace of God through Jesus, but the gifts Christ give us, they differ. The emphasis here, it's on the shift. It's on the shift to this each of us language, just like I said. Now in verses 8 to 10, the Apostle Paul, he then draws on an image from Psalm 68 and explains how it applies to Jesus. Now, we're not going to start, stop too long and get bogged down in it, but here's a simple point. The victorious, risen Lord Jesus, uh, Jesus who first, first came down to earth to die for our sins, he not only rose again, but he ascended back to heaven to the right hand of God where he now gives gifts to his church. What gifts? Well, we keep reading verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now, I want to ask you, have a think about it. What do all these church leadership gift roles have in common? What they all have in common is word ministry. And when I say word ministry... I mean, they have to do with the, the teaching of God's word, the Bible. And the apostles, they're the sent ones, the ones who were eyewitnesses initially and took and communicated the gospel. Are the prophets, they're the ones who apply the word of God to our lives. The evangelists, these are people who introduce people to Jesus. The pastors, they look after and shepherd the gatherings of God's people, the churches, and the teachers, they explain God's word to you. Now, you say, isn't there a lot of overlap in all those? Yeah, yeah, there is. And, I mean, we could, we could stay and, and talk about what each of these looks like in our context today, how we, how, we see these, how we see these roles playing out. But what I want you to notice is, again, the thing all these roles have in common. They're all word gifts. 
And at this point, you might be thinking, you're making church sound a lot like that bus image, right? We all come along, jump on, and the, these word gift people, they, they take us where we need to go. But no, we keep reading. What's the role of these church leaders? Christ has given these, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. Hmm. Now, perhaps at this point, you wish that you wish that it said the church leaders were to equip God's people to, to love him better. But it doesn't. Perhaps you wish it said that these church leaders were to equip God's people to stay strong in their faith. But it doesn't. What does it say? Christ gave the prophets, the apostles, prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Now, the word for service here is elsewhere translated ministry. Paul is literally saying that the role of church leaders is to equip you for ministry. Now, you might be sitting back thinking, isn't ministry your job? That's what we pay you to do. Well, to which Adam, Tinnaker and I say, yeah, it is. But here, God's telling you it's also your job. Instead of monopolizing ministry, this is a multiplying of ministry. Do you see that? Now, I've seen in churches before where people seem to think that because they give financially to the work of the church, that that clears them from any need to think about the way that they can be practically loving and serving or putting their names on a roster. That's not the picture the Bible gives us here, though, is it? This is a picture of everyone being prepared to serve and love one another. And the way we prepare you for this is with the word, helping you to wrestle with it in your lives. Now, there are, of course, formal roles of service. There's door people, there's cleaners, there's Bible readers, there's those who help with morning tea, there's those who teach scripture, and so on. But there's also informal roles as well. And this is especially what I want us to be thinking about today and where Ephesians 4 points to. But we will come back to this in our final point. Because first, Paul wants you to see something else. The goal of the church. Point two. So we read verse 11 again. Christ gave all these different roles, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Do you see the goal there? The goal of church is that the body of Christ may be built up. He's talking about edification, about growing together, maturing. This is why Christ gave these word ministry gift, gifts people to the church. And this is why the people, this is why you are being equipped for works of service, so that the church would be built up. And verse 13, as we keep reading, tells us that it looks like unity in the faith, this building up. All right, unity in the faith. Then when it comes to our doctrine that as we grow, we would become more and more of one mind. Verse 13 also pictures that as maturity, that as we, that as we grow to be more and more like Christ, we would have, our, would have lives that reflect that of our Lord and Saviour. This, this is God's goal for the church. This is God's vision statement for the church. In verse 14 then, he says that 
as we're being built up, we won't be blown around anymore like infants, like little kids. No, no, not by false teaching. We won't be deceived. Instead, we'll have discernment. How do you know if something you're reading or someone you're watching is, is teaching you the word of God faithfully in a way that, that is true to his word and helpful for you in your Christian life? The point is, you won't know if you're not growing together as a church. And so here's the vision, that we're built up together in, convic in conviction and maturing together as a body. So, how do we get there? Point three, it's every member ministry. Remember the first half of verse 12? He says that each of us are being equipped for works of service. It's a picture of every member ministry within the church. And so what does that look like in practice then, you might ask? Well, it's not being blown and tossed around by, uh, by waves of deceitful teaching as immature Christians. Instead, verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love. This is what every member ministry is all about. Speaking God's word to each other in our lives. Speaking the truth in love. And now we need both of those things. We need truth and love. I've heard it said that truth without love is like sandpaper. And love without truth, it's like syrup. I know some Christian friends who they're keen to defend God's word passionately. They're keen to encourage people to, to live lives for Jesus. But as they engage with real actual people, they lack love. I also know others who they make the opposite mistake. They're so determined to, to at all costs maintain and exhibit brotherly love that they do so letting go of the truths of scripture. They compromise on it. They downplay sin. They even forget to bring scripture into it. And in the end, it's not loving at all. Now, the Apostle Paul, he calls us to hold these two things together, truth and love as we speak to one another. At the start, I offered these two illustrations, remember? There's the bus and the rowboat. These two ways we can view church. People get on the bus and the leaders take them where they need to go or get on a rowboat and everyone puts, puts in work together as a team. But I think there's a another way. I think there's a better illustration for church. And here it is. Paul tells us what this picture is. As we keep reading verse 15 and 16, instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As helpful as the robot image might be, a better image we have here is the image of a body because it highlights both the unity and the diversity of people within the church and their roles. The way that we each work together in our varying roles to help the whole thing grow. And in verse 15, we see again that the body grows and builds, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Can you see the philosophy of this every member ministry the New Testament holds out to us. 
and how love is the guiding principle in our service, in all that we do. But again, it's, it's more than just our formal roles. Speaking the truth in love is a role for each one of us to play. There's a picture here of church and a philosophy of word-based ministry, and it's, it's not the ministry of a few, not just the, the ordained ministers. No, no, it's the ministry of the pew. Each one of us, as we sit here, and as we stand and gather together after church, speaking together the truth in love so that we're growing together in Christ. And this is a fundamental part of the church, a fundamental part of Christian community. And again, this primarily happens through the informal part of our church life. Now, I've known some people who treat the end of the formal church time, once the final song finishes, they treat it like the starter's gun that, bang, go. And it's a race to, to get outside, to find your wife and get to the car and get home. That's hardly a view that, that captures a loving and welcoming of others at church. That's hardly the view that we have here. Now, loving your church isn't a feeling, it's, it's a decision. A decision that says, church doesn't really finish when it finishes. But that, like, uh, like going to Bible study through the week, the informal time after our church services, it's an indispensable part of our weekly gathering. Because this is where we not only have a chance to get to know one another on a deeper level, but where we can encourage and care for and build up each other as we speak the truth in love. And now as you keep reading the New Testament and you see the way that it describes the church, there's a whole lot of, of other one another commands. And these include welcoming, rejoicing, grieving together, sharing together, praying together, encouraging. These are all part, a fundamental part of Christian community. Is that your vision of church? Because that's the vision that the New Testament gives us. And so if you're not already doing it, why don't you give it a go? For the next month or so, uh, if you're here with us, presently, physically at church, or in fact, wherever you are as you gather with other Christians, have a go at sharing, encouraging and praying for one another from God's word. Now, if you're not doing that already, it may feel awkward to start with, but that's all right. You have, you have my permission to be awkward and feel awkward with other people. As you're chatting with someone, ask them, say to them, hey, this is something I've been encouraged by. I've been encouraged by this thing. Or what are you taking away from Ephesians 4 today? How can I be praying that for you? Can I pray that for you right now? This is the kind of every member ministry that we're being shown here. Speaking God's word to one another so that the body is growing together, so that the body is being built up. And this every member kind of word ministry should happen, should, should start before we even get to church. Now, last week I said that before we church, before we get to church, one of the most important and loving things we can do is simply, simply commit to going. And that's right. And again, that's where every member ministry starts. Before church, committing to being there every week, even on hard weeks. You wouldn't not turn up to church. Not, you wouldn't not turn up to work because you were too tired, would you? Well, so we commit to going. Secondly, before you even get to church, 
uh, encouraging and supporting each other to greater love and maturity in Christ, it's, it's an exercise of the mind. And so before we go, we think. Now that may, that may start with you simply reading the passage of Scripture that we're looking at in church together and asking yourself, what does this mean for me? What are the questions I have? What's something I'm encouraged by that I can share with someone else when I'm, when I'm together at church with them? As you're listening to, to Adam or myself, be taking notes, be thinking about it, have, you, have God's word open, be engaging with it. Because if you're doing that, then you'll have something to share with people afterwards. You'll have a way that you can encourage people through God's word. So before we come to church, firstly, we go. Secondly, we think. And thirdly, before we come to church, pray. Pray that God would speak to you. Pray that you would know him better, that he would reveal your sin to you so that you can repent. And pray, pray about where to sit in church. Now that may sound like a really weird one, but pray that when you come in, that there'll be someone that you can sit next to and encourage. Someone that you can encourage and build up with God's word. Maybe even pray for. And you'd be surprised because it's remarkable how often God seems to answer those prayers when we pray them. These prayers that ask for, that God would, would use us to grow and build the body together. Why does the risen and ascended Lord Jesus give us these gifts of church word ministry leaders? Well, it's to equip his people for works of service so that we wouldn't be blown around as immature Christians, but rather so we can speak the truth in love to one another as we continue to grow and aim to grow to be more like our Lord and Saviour Jesus. From him, verse 16 tells us, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love, that you've sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to take away our sin so that we can be a new people, we can be your people. Father, help us to see the way that we need to respond to you with our lives. Help us to see this call to a sort of every member ministry where we're, we're building each other up as a body, where we all see our part to play, where we're speaking the truth to one another in love. Father, give us the courage and confidence to do that, to be bold and, and have a go at speaking, at praying, at encouraging each other as a result of sitting together around your word. Father, please do your work in our lives. Please encourage us through your word yourself and please equip us to be powerfully used for your kingdom growth as we leave. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we go now to a time of praise. Naked as
We come now to a time of prayer and so in a moment you might like to pause the video and be praying uh, there's plenty of things that we can be, we can be praying for uh, give thanks especially for kids club here at church over the last week uh, where plenty of kids came along and heard that god's team is the best team that they can be on his team by following captain jesus uh, be praying that god would use that work to grow his kingdom uh, friends, there's so many things we can pray for. That's just one of them. Uh, so again, pause the video, uh, take a moment to be praying, and then we'll go to a time of praise.
Well, friends, as we go, hear these words of scripture again as an encouragement. From Ephesians 4, starting in 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Well, friends, as we work to that end, uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.